Uh, Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. You ever heard somebody say, well, you know, uh, their heart just isn't in it. You ever seen somebody do something that their heart just wasn't in? Or you hear the, the phrase, well, they're just half-hearted about something. Um, generally speaking, when your heart is in something, there's a difference in the way you attack it as opposed to when your heart isn't into something. Would you agree with that? Okay, I got a few nodding yes out there. When your heart is there, you're more likely to do a task with purpose. You're more likely to be or give attention to detail. You're going to find more joy in the task. You'll give more time to it, obviously, to give more detail or pay attention to detail and so forth. You'll do that. You'll give it more energy, more thought. Um, there's some enthusiasm a lot of times that follows that. And hopefully when you complete the work, you'll have more satisfaction in the work that you've done. Realizing that what we're doing, hopefully we can understand, counts for something. And do you ever just feel like you're doing stuff that counts for nothing? You find yourself half-hearted in it? Uh, your heart's not there at all, maybe? You're getting through doing the thing that you have to do just to do what you do, and in the end, all of these kinds of expressions that I've talked about are not yours. Now, this passage of Scripture that I just read to you, where it said that we're to, whatever you do, that we're to work at it with all of our heart as working for the Lord, that passage is in the context of slavery. Paul is addressing people who are slaves. Now, you're an American, and you're free, at least so far. <laughs> and in that process, you have a lot of choices about what you're going to invest in, don't you? Your career, your hobbies, you have an amazing amount of free time you can invest, invest as opposed to other, some other places in the world. Um, can you imagine being a slave? You're a 24-7 slave, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. How much of your life do you really get to determine what you're going to do? Can you see that you might not be happy about every, every task that you should be called on to do? And in the midst of that, Paul says to these people, work at that with all of your heart because you're working as if you're working because you are for the Lord and he'll reward you. So that's taking it out of the hands of man and putting it into a situation where it becomes purposeful from an eternal standpoint, from the standpoint of the throne of God. Are you good at doing that? <laughs> I see a bunch of this. <laughs> no. And the younger generation, though, has mastered it better than us. I've never heard any of them say, I'm bored. <laughs> My kids didn't. First time they said, I'm bored, I put a, a toilet scrub brush in their hand and said, I got something for you to do. I can help you out. And they didn't take but one kid one time and nobody, they say, I'm, no, I'm great, dad. You know, so. <laughs> the 
what got me on this particular passage of Scripture as I was studying, uh, putting together a sermon really about spiritual warfare was I picked up this journal that we're going to be, or this devotional that we're going to be looking at next year, and I decided just on December 1 when they came in to read it, see if I liked it, you know. I'd read a few of them, and I had Vic's word on it, and the ones I read were good, and so I decided to read it. And this is what it said, first paragraph there. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. It's working for me, not for men. Again, chief first person to God here. Half-heartedness is not pleasing to me. It's not pleasing to God, is what she's saying. Nor is it good for you. It's tempting to rush through routine tasks and do them sloppily just to get them done. But this negative attitude will pull you down and lower your sense of worth. If you do the same task with a thankful heart, you can find pleasure in them and do a much better job. She goes on to say some other things. But anyway, I, I read that and got to thinking about that and looking at it and asking myself, what do I do with my whole heart? And certainly spiritual warfare, as you look at it, should be something that we would enter into with our whole heart, with enthusiasm. And then as I wound up this study on, on uh, spiritual warfare, it ends with this passage in Ephesians 6.18, which is really not a part of the spiritual warfare teaching per se, because there's not an assigned piece of armor with this, but I think it's still attached, and I'll show you how in a minute. Ephesians 6.18, it says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me, that when I open my mouth, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So it led me to the question, in my spiritual life, what am I presently working at with all of my heart as working for the Lord? Certainly it would fall into this category, right? Now to attach all of this back to the whole spiritual warfare thing, because I don't want to totally leave that other sermon series behind. What did a Roman soldier usually do, or a lot of them do, before they went into war? They would pray to their pagan gods. They would offer sacrifices to those gods. What did they do while they were on the battlefield? Well, there was some praying going on too there, I imagine, to their gods. And what did they do when they got back? They made thanks offerings to their gods, didn't they? And so as Paul is looking at this whole war motif, and looking at that Roman soldier, I think it was natural for him to conclude this with prayer and saying that just as a Roman soldier would battle his, would bathe his battle in prayer, so we are to bathe our spiritual battle in prayer the same way. Now, that's what I think he's saying. And he talks about that prayer there. It's prayer in the spirit. It's to be done on all occasions. Prayer immediately, if we think about it, is just, is just talking to God, right? Okay. If talking to God is all you think of prayer as doing, you probably won't have a prayer book. You probably won't be on the prayer chain. You probably don't get the prayer letter. Because those things really don't, don't work that way, do they? They're, they're, if, you're, if you're stepping into that stuff, all of a sudden you're stepping into a work rather than just talking to God. Those things don't just happen like talking to God does. So... I wanted to put this and kind of look at this verse with this in mind and take that idea that she put there and say, 
if you're going to work at prayer with all of your heart, and you're going to do that unto the Lord, what would it look like? Just conversation with God? Or is there more involved in that? Do, do, could you look at, you could look at any piece of the spiritual armor, but let's just take prayer because that's where we are this morning. Are we half-hearted in that or are we wholehearted in that? And if we're not, what would it look like to be wholehearted in the area of prayer? And so that's the question I ask myself. The first thing Paul says here is to pray in the Spirit. Now, some folks think that that means praying in tongues. Um, that's fine. You know, knock yourself out. Uh, I'm not criticizing that, but I think there's a whole lot more to this verse than that. Romans 8, 26 and 27, it says this. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance, intercedes for who? The saints in accordance with God's will. You see, all of this, I think, has a, a precursor to it, this, this being able to pray in the Spirit. Because it is when we ask Jesus Christ into our life to be our Lord and Savior when we become His, that the Spirit of God begins to dwell in us, right? I mean, it takes up residence, abode in us in a whole different way than it did before. And so now we are in a place where we can pray like we could not before. Now, I think of it this way. This is, I've got this idea from some commentary. I can't remember which one. And I like to be precise about giving credit to other people. And I don't have this one written down. And if you care, I can find it again. I'll look it up. Okay. It's just enough to know it's not original with me. But a bird can't fly without air. Or without the wind, whatever you want to call it. And you can't swim without water. And the spirit is the medium by which we are allowed to really pray. And until we've asked Jesus Christ in our life and the spirit of God is not living in us, then we don't have what we need in our lives to support prayer. Now think about that for a minute. What does that look like? Well, I've had times, times when I prayed and my prayer time had no words. I just sat and cried. You ever been there? But I think God knew exactly what I was saying because the Spirit made intercession for me. There have been times where I've sat and worshiped and cried and had no words. I'm thinking of a couple of those right now. Just moments where all I could do was say, glory to God in the highest and just cry tears of joy. No word. I think that God knew what I was saying. Sometimes I just babble on like I did the other day when I talked to my dad on the phone. I don't know why, I just got going. He asked me something and I started talking and before I knew it, you ever do that? When it was all said and done, I, I told dad, I said, man, I'm sorry. I said, I was just rattling on. He said, no. He said, it's okay. I understood what you're saying. He shortened it down to one statement. And I said, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Sometimes I just babble on with God. Sometimes I just do da, 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 da. And I say, you know, Lord, I don't know if I've done anything, said anything. He said, oh, I got it. That's praying in the Spirit. 
To me, that's what praying in the Spirit is. One of the, the biblical illustrators, one of the commentaries I read this week said, said this, the, the Spirit creates a prayerful heart. Without that, without the Spirit, we don't have the prayerful heart. We can never truly pray at all until um, we can pray our Father. Isn't that true? Because at that point, we enter into a different kind of conversation and a different kind of relationship with Him. The Spirit suggests the substance of our prayers. Is that not true? I mean, when the Spirit is suggesting the substance of your prayers, what's the first thing that usually you get hammered with? Okay, does anybody pray? You know, this is... Okay, uh, you ever feel conviction by the Holy Spirit whenever you go to pray? Uh, you ever been praying for something one way and all of a sudden you're directed to pray another? I had a friend of mine once. He, uh, you know, there's been a lot of broken family situations through the years and he was praying for a broken family situation. And he came to me and he said, uh, you know, this parent had asked me to pray for this, this broken family relationship and he said, I've been praying for that. And he said, uh, he said, I'm just, you know, he said, you've been around the situation more than I have. But he said, I think that, you know, based upon the request of the parent that I'm praying wrong. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, the problem is not the other people. The problem is the parent that asked me to fix everybody else. And I said, yeah, that's the way I, I figured it. I said, where'd you come up with that? He said, I don't know. He said, I was just praying and praying and praying for him. And I just felt impressed that way. Now, I knew the situation. I knew what was going on. I had walked through that, uh, at least in some, some little bit with the family, as I do with a lot of families. And I knew it from experience, but he knew it simply because he'd been on his knees. God ever redirect you that way? Where you're praying for something and all of a sudden God says, no, let's go another way. The Spirit also reveals the love and helpfulness of God and so encourages us to present our many and deep needs to Him. In prayer, probably more than anywhere else, it, it, I feel God saying to me how much He loves me and how much He cares for me. Where does God speak to you that way? The Spirit communicates divine love, He says, to our hearts, and this communicates warmth and enthusiasm to our prayers. Most often it is that the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and works it into my life. It's amazing how often when in prayer I'm praying for something, God will bring a verse to mind. Does He ever do that with you? Sometimes to strengthen, encourage, sometimes to convince, sometimes to give guidance and direction. But the Spirit of God loves to use the Word of God in our life. And the more Word we give Him, the more He can direct. The Spirit also identifies Himself with our case. And he, and he makes intercession for us. And we've talked about that. God's own heart pleads with us. And our mightiest plea, this author says, is there. Isn't it true? He says to pray on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. In this context of spiritual warfare... Praying on all kinds of occasions seems to have a different meaning to me. Um, I'm facing spiritual conflict all the time, aren't you, in the world? 
just an attitude when you go into the store, just an attitude when you read the paper, just an attitude when you face somebody who has an attitude, you know? I mean, there, there are all kinds of challenges that we face, all kinds of things that bombard us in this world to trip us up. And he says, on all occasions, we're to be praying. This is kind of in that warrior setting. And as I'm walking out there, there needs to be a place in this all the time where I am praying. Now, let's step back, take the first verse again and look at it a minute. Do you think you're going to do this if prayer's not something that you're trying to do with all your heart as unto the Lord? What do you do with all your heart as unto the Lord? Can we even do a moment as unto the Lord and be in it? Can you even do this moment as unto the Lord and be in it? I don't know about you. Uh, I preach and sometimes I daydream during the sermon. Okay. <laughs> Just to be in the moment is a challenge, isn't it? It's a challenge. To be all in, in the moment, is a challenge. Work at it with all your heart. If you didn't want to work at worship, if you didn't want to work at meeting the Lord, if you didn't want to encourage the saints, if you didn't want to be blessed by the encouragement of the saints, why did you come this morning? And did you walk in and think all that was just going to happen for you because you showed up, or did you come to work at it? What preparation did you give the night before? Did you stay up till 3 o'clock watching movies and expect to stay awake? What preparation, what work did you give it? This is, can you even be in this moment with all your heart? Wholehearted or half-hearted? How much in this world do we do wholehearted or half-hearted? See, when it comes to spiritual stuff, I don't think we think in these terms. And I think the spiritual disciplines of, of just being in the Word of God, we need to work at it with our whole heart. Praying, we need to work at it and be in it. Worship, coming and worshiping, we need to be in it. And so, you know, I, as I work through this and I, I look for application in my life with this, I honestly came down to just thinking that prayer, if it's done right, takes a lot of work it's not going to just happen for you to be the kind of prayer warrior that's going to be enthusiastic and invest in and find joy in and find purpose in prayer you're going to have to work at it he says pray for all the saints are you going to pray for all the saints if you don't have a prayer journal you're not even going to pray for everybody in this church and that don't even start to touch all the saints you know, oh, I guess you could do it. God bless all the saints. Thank you. I appreciate your prayers today. Not. I hope when you say you're praying for me, you're doing better than God bless Rick. Okay, now I'll take that. That's all you got to give. All right. But if you really start interceding, God might do with you as he did with my friend and show you some other things that you need to be praying for me. It's going to take effort, isn't it? And maybe I'm not saying you have to do this. I'm not saying, okay, tomorrow you need to work at prayer. Maybe you're not there. Maybe tomorrow you just need to work at getting out of bed, you know. Maybe just reading your Bible. That's it. I don't know. But I'm saying if we're going to work at prayer with all of our heart and not be half-hearted about it, it's going to take some effort. You're going to have to put together a prayer, a prayer journal. 
I think you're going to have to also have a journal that talks about answered prayer. I mean, one of the, one of the things I love to write down is when God answers a prayer. You're, you're probably, you're probably going to have to get on the prayer chain because then you're actually going to have some requests for your brothers and sisters that are going on in their life that you'll know about and can be able to lift up to the Heavenly Father. You know, at least when the, the, the prayer chain comes across, at least I pick it up and look at it and read through it and pray for you once a week. So if you're hurting, at least you get that prayer, right? I mean, we should all be doing that, right? And some weeks I don't even get that. Am I really working at this thing of prayer the way the Lord wants me to do it? Maybe I'm going to have to set aside some time for prayer. Daniel prayed three times a day. To think that this is to think that I'm going to be the person of prayer God wants me to be and work at that and not set aside some time for it. How can you do anything wholeheartedly if you only give it two minutes a day? I think some of us, some of us invest in our prayer lives in, in such a way that we come away with a first grader's fingerprint, finger painting thing, you know? Sometimes I feel that way. And that's okay to have the finger painting if I've made the investment. If I've put in the time, if I've given it whole, myself wholeheartedly to that. And in the end, there's some satisfaction in the finger painting. Just knowing that I've given it 100%. Knowing that I've given it the effort that God wanted me to give it to work at it the way He wanted me to work at it. Okay, now that's my sermon. Okay, that's my sermon on, on prayer. That's it. Wrap it up. You're done with it this morning. Okay, but then my little mind, just the way I think in these crazy thoughts, I thought, okay, let's just play with some other ideas. Rick, what is it that your hand finds to do that you need to be doing and you need to be, do whole, to be doing wholeheartedly to the Lord? Well, I can think of a lot. I mean, I have some roles that are given to me by the Lord. I am a husband. Well, that one wasn't given to me. I chose it, okay? Uh, I'm a husband. I, I'm a parent. I'm a son. I mean, I, I've got all that. But then my little mind playing its games, it says this. Okay, so this is the Christmas season. What if you were going to do Christmas wholeheartedly as unto the Lord? You're going, that's a stupid thought. Okay, but I asked myself that thought. I'm asking you this morning. What if you were going to do Christmas wholeheartedly as unto the Lord this year? With all of those kinds of things we talked about, giving it energy, giving it effort, giving it enthusiasm, giving it, you, you get what I'm saying. What would you do? How would you work at it? I would sit in Santa Claus's lap at least six times, right? No, that, that one didn't work. What would you do? Well, this is the answer I came up with. You don't have to like it. You can come up with your own answer, but this is what I came up with. I think if I'm going to do Christmas with all my heart as unto the Lord, I need to celebrate Jesus. Celebrate Jesus. You know, there's a lot of depression that happens this time of year. Why does it happen? And we ain't celebrating Jesus. We're looking around at what we don't have. We're gathered with family and we're crying over the family members that don't like us. Well, some people do. Croy and I just thank the Lord, okay, that they don't show up. They just ruin it for everybody, all right? Some of you do that, right? 
But we can, this can be a very depressing time of year. All jokes aside, it can be very depressing because of those kinds of situations with family. That's not what the season is about. And really our whole life should be about just celebrating Jesus, right? And if I'm so caught up in celebrating Jesus, maybe I wouldn't be so depressed about everything else that's going on out there. Now lost people are always a depression for us. They just are. But we can't do anything about that. That's in the Lord's hands. We just pray for Him and we're faithful witness and we leave that with Him. And if you can't do that, you're going to be depressed all the time. And I struggle with this. There have been times in my life that the lostness of the world has led me to great depression. And I couldn't even go on vacation without feeling like I got to have a I got to stop and preach on Sunday morning in the middle of a campground, right? I don't care if anybody comes or not, but I've got to do this and I go around and invite everybody. Why? Because I can't stand the fact that people are going to hell and it just depresses me. Okay? But step outside of that for a minute and celebrate Jesus and what he's done for us and what we have in him. The love of the Heavenly Father poured out on us in Jesus. Listen, man, I was lost. A sinner. Estranged from God. I had no relationship with Him and no chance at a relationship with Him. And Jesus came in human flesh, in a manger, accessible to everybody, even stinking dirty shepherds that smell like sheep can come in and say, Good morning, Lord. He is available there to the common man, and the common man is a sinner just like me that's estranged from God and in need of salvation. And Jesus came down and he said, you know what? I love you so much. I'm going to give my life on Mount Calvary for you. You know, I, I struggle with the whole thing of Jesus' death. He said, nobody takes my life from me. I could have called 10,000 angels. They would have come and they would have rescued me. You know, Here's the bottom line. I'm not sure Jesus had to die anyway, and I'm jumping out on a theological limb here. Dude, if you can heal anything all the time, you can do the same for you. I mean, if you watch the, who's the guy that, never mind, going off on TV guys, that, you know, he just heals real quick. Jesus, you know the one. My daughter's back there laughing, smiling at me. There is so many senses in which Jesus, to me, never had to die. The Son of God, born of a virgin, the Spirit of God, His Heavenly Father. What did that mean? He was flesh. He was all human in human flesh. But He was all God. And I can't get that. And you can't either. And I'm just speculating now. I'm throwing stuff out there that scholars would throw rocks at me over. That's okay. I'm good with that. I'm just telling you, it's so far beyond me, I don't get it. And what I absolutely know is that Jesus did not have to die. He was not a sinner. He was from God. He had obeyed the Father perfectly. He could have called 10,000 angels to come and get him. He had the power beyond power that I can't even imagine. And it's hard for me to conceive of him ever even facing death. And yet he did. Why? Because he loved you and I. Because he said, you owe a debt you cannot pay to the Heavenly Father. Because, you are above, because of your sin and because of your rebellion. And the breach between you and my father is so wide that there is no way you get to experience him at all. Not in this life, you don't get to walk with him. And in the next life, you're cast into an eternal hell. But he said, I love you so much that I'm going to give my life a ransom for you. 
And he did. He did, he did not owe anything. He gave it. And it's, then he goes to the Heavenly Father and he says, here it is. Debt paid in full. For all of these people, the debt's paid in full. Here it is. I gave my life, my blood for them. And God would be unjust at that point. At that point, he would be unjust if he said, no, no, I'm not receiving that. I'm going to send them to hell anyway. Doesn't work that way, does it? <coughs> it's, a, it's a terrible bank if somebody comes in and pays your debt at the bank. You come in to pay it and they take your money anyway. Or they say to the person coming in, you can't pay that debt. Jesus could pay the debt. He did pay the debt. And you and I owe nothing anymore. Can you celebrate that? I got up this morning and I got to do a moment with God. And I'm doing a moment with God now. I live with God continually. I get to fellowship with Him, to do life with Him every day, all of my life. That's the best thing that I know of. Man, I've said this a billion times. I'll say it a billion more. Life is about who you get to do it with, not what you're doing. It doesn't matter what I'm doing. I, can, I hate roofing houses. Glenn did that for a living for a while. God bless you. You earned every penny. I hate roofing houses. But if I'm roofing houses with the right people, it's fun. I love fishing, but if I'm fishing with the wrong people... It is no fun. Life is who you're doing it with. I get to do life with Jesus. Can you celebrate that this Christmas? And you get to do it because of a baby in a manger. How are you going to do that? Well, I'm going to tell you one of the things that I think is very important here. This is it. Proverbs 15, 13. A happy heart makes, a, makes the face cheerful. I'm just saying, if you're going to celebrate Jesus, go ahead and tell your face. Okay? You see these little signs all over town? You seen them? The little smile signs? I think those are dumb. <laughs> I do. Smile, it's contagious. Smile, it'll bring you joy. Smile, smile, because in here you're celebrating Jesus. Wouldn't that be one of the things we could do this season? Just put a smile on our face? I get that there are moments when life is overwhelming. In Ephesians 6.33, it says this, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. But look at this, he says, each day has enough trouble of its own. I get that. But too, many, too often we're, we're borrowing tomorrow's troubles or we're bringing the past troubles, aren't we? Each day has enough trouble of its own. But even in the midst of that, for the one who loves the Lord and is called according to his purposes, he says he's going to work everything for our good. And maybe that's something that we could work at during this season with all of our heart as unto the Lord. Just what is that good thing we could do? So this is my conclusion. Not everybody will agree. Decorate your tree. Hang your stockings on the fireplace. 
Hang your decorations all over the house. Sing carols to your neighbors. Give presents to your family and friends as much as your money will allow. Read the Christmas story again and again and again. Share the love of Jesus with your friends and your neighbors. Pray for the lost. Gather with the saints. Feast with the saints and your family. Sing glory to God in the highest. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a Savior is given. Don't care how you do it. Celebrate Christmas by celebrating Jesus. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Thank you, God, for Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for just being Jesus. And thank you for a season to celebrate that. It's crazy the way the world stands against it and tries to stop it, and yet we as Christians get to celebrate Jesus this time of year. Help us to do that in such a way, Lord, that our face just can't help but shine the joy of Jesus. We love you, Lord. Thank you for our moments together. Amen.